You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Pause right there. We are going to read the rest of that paragraph, but we ought to pause and let me urge you and myself not to make a mistake that people have made many, many times down through the centuries, the mistake of assuming that sin is only action. That sin is always something that the body does, acts out. Our Lord in this section of his sermon corrects that mistake by reminding us that sin is also a matter of the heart. That in fact the sin of murder is birthed by the sin of anger in the heart. And here that the sin of adultery is birthed by the sin of lust, lustful desire in the heart. And if we don't get this, we don't grasp what Jesus is saying, we are likely to make another mistake that has been often made down through the centuries, and that is treating sin in a surface way instead of with the radical heart surgery that it calls for. And so in verse 29, our Lord continues, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now the first thing we probably need to say about these words is that although Jesus means to be taken seriously, he doesn't mean to be taken literally. There is a difference. And a fourth century church council had to outlaw the practice of some in that era of taking Jesus literally and cutting off offending parts of their body, which is not only a tragic misunderstanding of the figure of speech that Jesus is using here, it entirely misses the point. Because if, as our Lord is saying here, sin resides in the heart, then mutilating the body does not address that issue. And the sin of lust, which he mentions specifically in this paragraph, is here in the brain, here in the heart, and not just in the members. So understand that Jesus does not mean to be taken literally, but he does mean to be taken seriously. If your eye gets you into trouble, don't look, act as if you're blind. If your hand gets you into trouble, act as if you're maimed. Whatever you have to do to avoid sin, do it. Halfway measures, half-hearted measures, might work just fine if sin was only a matter of action. When it comes to adultery, for example, 
if the only way you could sin was by the act, many would be held back by fear of consequences or social pressure or lack of opportunity. But when you realize that this sin begins in the heart, you realize that something more radical is called for. And so our Lord says, whatever you have to do to avoid sin, do it. I used to say that if the soft pornography behind the counter tempts you, shop someplace else. Now I have to say that if the ever accessible pornography online tempts you, turn the computer around so that the monitor faces the room and everybody who walks through it, or trade in that smartphone with its instant accessibility to anything and everything and get a dumb phone like mine. I still have a flip phone. I get teased about it in my ABF once in a while. I think there's one other in the Smithsonian. Um, and you know what? You can still make phone calls on it. You can even get text messages on it, but you don't have constant connectivity to anything and everything. Now that's not a prescription for everybody, but Jesus is giving us a very practical principle here. Do what you have to do to avoid sin. If um, going to a given party might get you in trouble, do, do something else that night. If you already find yourself at a place where you're tempted, make like Joseph when tempted by Potiphar's wife and, and Get out of there. If seeing the latest movie or reading the best-selling novel might tempt you in this area, then don't see it. Don't read it. Somebody, maybe even you yourself, will say, yes, but there's so much of value in it, or I don't want to be an ignoramus. Consider the words of John Stott, who said, it is better to suffer a little bit of cultural amputation in this life than risk destruction in the next. But maybe sexual temptation is not your issue. Maybe that's not your problem. Maybe you struggle instead with um, abuse of alcohol or laziness or a loose tongue or wasting time. I wonder if you can see that this principle of radical amputation applies to anything that we might struggle with, anything that gets, us, gets in the way of our making God-honoring, lasting changes in our life. It isn't the only principle in the Word of God for resisting temptation and making lasting changes, but it is, a, it is an important one, and my hunch is that a few dozen of us probably, at least, need to hear this and take our Lord seriously on this. In Matthew chapter 18, he repeats this principle, gouge out the eye, cut off the hand that gets you in trouble, but there, it's not specifically tied to lust and adultery. It's more of a general principle for dealing with any kind of sin or temptation. Uh, I think, for example, of David Maines, the respected radio Bible teacher, who years ago gave up reading the daily newspaper. What's wrong with reading the newspaper? 
nothing in and of itself, nothing for most people. But Maines realized that he was spending far too much time every day, time that could have been spent in more meaningful kingdom activity, consuming news, most of which didn't really help him live for Christ one way or the other. Just So he gave it up. That's kind of cutting off the hand, gouging out the eye, taking a pretty drastic step. Or I think of a couple who came to a pastoral counselor because of their struggles handling money. Uh, time and time again, they found themselves deep in the hole, in debt, struggling to make ends meet, and they understood that they were not honoring God with the way they handled their finances, and finally sought some advice. Well, the counselor asked them, what have you done so far? He said, well, we've prayed. And that counselor knows what any pastor knows, is that's what Christian people are always going to say when you ask them that question, what have you done? Everybody prays about it, and they had tried different things to change the way they handled money, but this counselor saw that this couple needed the principle of radical amputation. Their half-hearted measures had not worked. Their halfway steps had not done any good. They kept falling back, and so he prescribed radical amputation. Cut up your credit cards. Sell some stuff, including the second car. And they knew that they couldn't get what it was worth, at least what it was worth to them, but it was some money. And then, of course, there were months of savings on insurance and repair and gas, registration and so on. And now, because they were going to make do with one car, the wife, who was a full-time homemaker, would have to plan on only having the vehicle one day a week. And so she'd have to structure her week more carefully and make lists of what to do with that one shopping trip per week. Now they were going to have to um, write up a plan for getting out of debt and send it to all of their creditors. In other words, they were going to have to get serious. This is a practical principle. Again, as I say, it's not the only principle in the Word of God on resisting temptation, making lasting changes. As I put it in my Adult Bible Fellowship this morning, the Bible does not give us one master key to living the Christian life. It gives us a key ring with lots of keys that open different doors in different ways for different people at different times, and we need them all. And this is certainly a powerful principle. Portia Nelson wrote a piece entitled Autobiography in Five Short Chapters. I'm going to read the whole book. Don't worry, this is it right here. Chapter one, I walk down the street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. I am lost. I am helpless. It isn't my fault. It takes me forever to find a way out. Chapter two, I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I pretend I don't see it. I fall in again. I can't believe I'm in the same place, but it isn't my fault. It still takes a long time to get out. Chapter 3, 
I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it is there. I still fall in. It's a habit. My eyes are open. I know where I am. It is my fault. I get out quickly. Chapter 4. I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. Chapter 5. You can probably guess. I walk down another street. Seems to me Jesus would say, don't wait till you get to chapter 5 to walk down a different street. Or, to stick to the metaphor here in Matthew chapter 5, gouge it out. Cut it off. Whatever you have to do to avoid sin, do it. It might mean dropping some friends. It might mean changing jobs. It might mean driving home from work a different way. It might mean putting those credit cards in the microwave and nuking them for a couple of minutes. It might mean putting the, the TV in the attic for six months. But whatever you've got to do to avoid sin, do it. Does this sound too drastic? Sure, we all want to live a good, God-honoring life, but can't you carry things too far? Well, let me tell you about a farmer in Colorado who got his hand caught in a corn-picking machine. And by the time he could turn the machine off, it was too late to save his hand, and it was almost too late to save his life. He was all by himself, this is pre-cell phone days, couldn't call for help, and he was bleeding profusely and realized he was going to bleed to death right there. And so he cut off his hand. Better to go through life with one hand than not at all. And Jesus, by using such a striking, even grotesque, figure of speech is telling us we got to take this seriously. As seriously as that farmer in recognizing our need and our peril, which is summed up by Jesus' word, hell. The word in Greek is Gehenna, and that was a valley outside Jerusalem that was a garbage dump. And there was perpetual burning of garbage there. The flames never really went out. Just always smoke, fumes in Gehenna. And so that place became an image of eternal destruction. That imagery helps us see how this principle might apply even to believers who will not go to literal hell but spend eternity with God in heaven. Because even for such, it is possible in this life to end up on the garbage heap. A guy who's a believer, he really is trusting Christ as Savior, never masters his addiction to alcohol, and so although he'll go to heaven someday, 
He scars his body, he destroys his family, he loses his job, and he goes early to his grave. A guy who does not take seriously his struggle with lust finds at first that it seems like something he can manage, but then he's addicted to pornography, and before he knows it, the sin of the heart gives way to the sin of the body and his reputation and his life may be over. Somebody who does not take seriously the principle of radical amputation when it comes to his laziness gets to his middle years and realizes, I have done nothing of significance with this life, this one life that God gave me. A teenager cares too much by far what other people think of him and lives for popularity and so more serious things, church, worthwhile hobbies, studies, all get short shrift and uh, money is spent to buy clothes to impress other people and this young man discovers the day after graduation that none of that stuff mattered. The popularity that he enjoyed for a while in high school counts for nothing now in the adult world and he has wasted precious years of opportunity. A guy who compromises his integrity perpetually to get ahead in a highly competitive business wakes up one day to realize I don't have a soul anymore. Christians, but on the garbage heap of life. And of course, it is also possible, distressingly common and sobering to realize that many professing Christians may prove, in the end, to have not been the real deal at all and end up in literal hell. If we resist the promptings of the Spirit of God to take our sin seriously, if we ignore this and other principles in the Bible for making lasting changes in our lives, if we harden our hearts, if we sear our consciences, if we learn to tune out the Holy Spirit, it may, may well be, that despite the profession of our lips, despite the raising of the hand at age six in a vacation Bible school or whatever else we're counting on, we're not genuine Christ followers at all. George Sweeting, I think still alive. Somebody can correct me later if I'm mistaken on that. Respected president, past president of Moody Bible Institute, has preached in this pulpit before retirement. It tells a story about when he and his family were at Niagara Falls. It was springtime and the, the ice had broken up on the Niagara River and so in addition to watching the spectacular falls, they were watching huge chunks of ice go over the falls and they were watching seagulls on the ice flows, pecking away at fish that had been frozen into the chunks of ice. And as the ice got to the brink, the gulls would 
stretch out their wings and fly away. But Sweeting and his family watched one gull that seemed to be waiting dangerously long before taking off. The flow got right to the brink and the ice started to go over and the gull stretched out his wings and took a couple flaps and even lifted the ice out of the water a little bit, but it was too heavy. And the ice and the gull plunged into the abyss. Some of us are on the brink. We're this close to destruction. And halfway measures aren't going to cut it anymore. Half-hearted attempts to take steps to avoid sin are not going to cut it anymore. We've got to make a clean break. We've got to do something drastic. We've got to cut it off. Well, think about that. Let's pray about it. Father, I'm thankful that when your son preached, he didn't pull any punches. He knows where we live. In fact, though it's a mystery to us how the God-man could would be tempted. Your word tells us he was tempted just like we are, yet without sin. So he knows what we feel. He knows what we struggle with. He knows how keen that draw can be to the dark side, to what displeases you. And so he gives us some very practical help here and elsewhere and inspires his apostles to do the same. Well, by the Holy Spirit who inspired this text, would you help us now to apply it and to take seriously what our Lord Jesus teaches us here for his sake and frankly for our sake as well, that we might avoid ending up on the garbage heap in this life or the next. Thank you for listening. Thank you for speaking to us this morning. Amen. <laughs>